Okay. Hello, welcome to uh, TK Live, and I'm Matt Taibbi, and we are going to be talking about uh, the uh, Ukraine invasion prediction face plan, (laughs) which is uh, one of the weirder and more disturbing media stories um, I've seen for for a while now. Uh, So, obviously, on this site, on, on, on TK... Write a lot about the media. I wrote a book about the media called Hate Inc. Um, a lot of it, uh, a lot of that book is pretty straight media criticism. It's you know, why do we get things right? Why why is that important? Why do audiences trust us? What happens when we start uh, doing things for different reasons? And uh, what happens when we start going for audience over accuracy? These are sort of traditional media criticism. Uh, questions. The issue that we're getting into with this uh, Ukraine story um, is uh, something very different. It's a, a new and and strange kind of um, story that has a lot of angles to it, um, and is I think worth worth kind of discussing uh, at length because it's. Um, you know, it suggests some pretty radical changes in how how we do the news. So for, for people who don't, maybe didn't read the article um, or don't know exactly what, what happened with the story, it's, it's a little complicated. Um, this, this all goes back, it all started on uh, February 11th. Actually, it started a long time before that. There's, there, in one iteration or another, this this situation has been building for a while, but for, for the purposes of, of this discussion, let's just say it's, it's, it goes back to February 11th, um, when suddenly we started seeing um, uh, all, a series of news stories uh, all pop up at roughly the same time. This is right as Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, was giving a press conference uh, saying that... Um, essentially urging Americans in Ukraine to evacuate that uh, if, if the Russians strike, their missiles won't know that you're American, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, and then he, he drops a hint in the middle of the discussion that I'm not going to talk about the intelligence, but um, you know, it could happen before the end of the, of the Olympics. So he, he's sort of vaguely throwing out this date of before February 20th, right around that time, suddenly you see uh, a series of articles pop up all over the place in, in, in um, major news outlets in Europe and the United States, you know, Politico, the New York Times, PBS, Der Spiegel, uh, The Telegraph, uh, you know, a whole spate of places. And they're, they're all being fed basically the same story, and they all have a ton of sources one of the reasons um, I included the the tweet from the PBS, uh, I'm sorry, the PBS NewsHour um, writer Nick Schifrin um, is because if you actually click through to the to the thread, you'll see that he he um, he's citing this sort of enormous number of sources as he as he talks about uh, how. The U.S. believes Russian President Vladimir Putin has decided to invade Ukraine. 
and that's uh, sourced to three Western and defense officials. And the next uh, tweet is the U.S. expects the invasion to begin next week. Six U.S. and Western officials tell me, uh, and this is sort of a pattern that you're going to see with a, with a bunch of these stories, that there's just multiple anonymous sources talking to everybody all at once. And the thrust of this story is we're telling everybody that Joe Biden had a, uh, a secret call um, with Western leaders uh, during which the United States let all these other countries know um, that we had what was later described as an exceptionally detailed uh, piece of intelligence about Russia's invasion plans uh, that included, uh, as Der Spiegel put it, included everything um, uh, from roads to which units would be where, uh, and also in, included the potential date of uh, February 16th. Um, and um, hats off to Der Spiegel, which along with, I think, the New York Times and maybe one other place that I saw, they at least put in this disclaimer uh, that it was initially not possible to find out what information um, this stern American warning was based on. Uh, but we were told that the U.S. accounts were very detailed and supported by many sources. Uh so anyway, they do this, they spread the story that essentially they, it's, it's clear they wanted out there that they had this mother load of intelligence, that they know the invasion's coming on a Wednesday. Suddenly there's all these headlines out there about how the, the invasion's coming on this date. And uh, it drums up a lot of media interest because whenever you make a prediction um, like that, it, it, it makes a lot of news. Um, it's mocked by the Russians. The Ukrainian president doesn't like it. Uh, but then there, there's a just a very strange turn of events that happens. And this, and this is what takes this out of the ordinary media criticism world. There's a story comes out in the Washington Post um, on Valentine's Day called Inside the White House Preparations for a Russian Invasion. And the, the thrust of the article is about how they've uh, intelligence officials have decided to uh, counter the Russian information warfare capability. And they, there's a hint of language suggesting that the United States is, going, is itself now engaging in information warfare. Like there's a quote in there that says the administration is now working on a two-track push for diplomacy and deterrence, including the information wars unfolding in public. So that's odd. Like what the United States is, what, conceding that it's engaged in public information wars? It's, it's a little bit strange. And then uh, a couple days later, there's this much more graphic piece in The Guardian, and this is, this is after the February 16th date has come and gone. Um, and... This article um, quotes people like Fiona Hill and then also the former uh, CIA agent John Seifer, uh, whose name always cracks me up. Um, but he has this amazing quote in here, Seifer. He says, I, I think it's the West getting a little more savvy on using intelligence in an actionable way. 
It's what we used to call when the Russians did it, information warfare. And it's something that we've never got very good at. And then uh, he's sort of referencing this current situation. He's saying, what's interesting is this information isn't meant for Americans or British citizens. It's, it's meant for one consumer, Vladimir Putin. He's the one who knows whether it's true or not. So if we put out uh, intelligence that the Russians thought was secret and Putin knows it's true, he's got to decide how it has consequences for what he was trying to do and how it's affecting his strategy. So obviously you can't put a ton of stock in an ex-CIA agent, but this coupled with the the Washington Post piece, which is, um, you know, run through their one of their top national security writers, Ellen Nakashima, um, which was very detailed and clearly sourced all the way up to Jake Sullivan. It's full of references about how all of this um, coalesced under his leadership. Um, this is a, this is pretty overt message. There, it's a coming out party saying we are engaged in information warfare, and uh, there's a pretty strong implication that this this gambit of holding this tele meeting um, between Biden and the and the European leaders last week, uh, and then leaking the news to everybody all around the world, including the invasion date, um, that this this is part of uh, an information warfare exercise. Uh, there was some reference to an earlier story where we leaked um, apparently our, our, our apparent knowledge of a Russian false flag operation. I, I, I feel re- silly even using words like that, but but that's what was in the story. Um, we apparently had knowledge, or at least that was the claim, um, that, that we had come into possession of a plan to fake an attack against uh, ethnically Russian citizens of Ukraine. And the Russians were going to use that to go into uh, as the pretext to invade. That was one piece of information in warfare. And then the, and the other one was this prediction of the February 16th um, uh, invasion date. And this idea that, that all these uh, news outlets would go along with being used in a story that may or may not be true. And, you know, it's, it's really odd that, that uh, they, they didn't seem to want to put a whole lot of weight behind that prediction. They just keep saying that it's imminent. They keep saying that, it, that it's happening. They, they, the, they keep sort of urging everybody to feel as, as um, intense as they possibly can about it. Uh, but, uh, but they, you know, they, they, they don't want to lean all the way into saying we concretely know X, Y, and Z. You can depend on it because we got this information from a human source, an intercept or whatever it is. Obviously they can't reveal. It's one of the inherent problems with this kind of reporting is that even if they were, they were, were being honest, they couldn't theoretically reveal how they would know anything. Um, but we're taking it on faith that they do have something. Uh, and this idea that the, that the, the news business is now going to be commandeered for this uh, sort of purpose of sometimes lying, sometimes telling the truth, doing things 
for an audience of one, um, you know, Vladimir Putin, uh, that's really weird. That's, that's, that's not typical media criticism where we're talking about whether or not news agencies are betraying their audiences um, by getting things wrong or, or covering things incorrectly. This is, this is like, what is the news even for? Is it, is it designed to send a message to some foreign leader? Um, or is it, is it for us? And, uh, you know, this, this whole sequence of events was very unusual. I, I, it's, it's hard to know what to make of it, except what they're saying. And it, it seems to me that they really, they really think that this is a good plan and that people are, are going to be all for this. But um, I, I think it's deeply weird at, at, at the, at the least. And, uh, and it's also kind of embarrassing to, to all these news agencies, news agencies that they would, um, you know, sort of not be offended uh, by the implication that uh, they're, they're going to help with this process. Like it's, it's really not our job to, to send messages to other countries. The Pentagon has a $5 billion PR budget. They can buy uh, their own messaging if they want to. They don't have to um, induce CNN or some other company to do it for free. So anyway, that's what I wanted to talk about today. I just wanted uh, just the strangeness of this whole thing, what anybody thinks about it. And um, yeah, so let's, let's, let's start uh, having a discussion. And um we can start with, I guess it's it's Johnny. Are you there? I am here. Hey, how's it going? Oh man, it's better now. I'm a long time listener, first time caller. So oh, appreciate excellent. appreciate the platform and everything that you're doing. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because like you know I'm seeing a lot of parallels as far as in you know with World War II we had Pearl Harbor, and then you could say with the Iraq War we had 9/11. And it's like, okay, well, that came and passed. And then in Vietnam, you know, my understanding is like very rudimentary, but we claimed that there was some, you know, Bay of Tonka conflict that may or may not have ever happened. And then we're like, we just slid into Vietnam to just pour all this money and young people into a country we had no business into. And, you know, as things kind of roll back around with Russia, it's like nobody's even threatening us. You know, we're trying to get into another world, a war on the other side of the world to, quote, protect other people. And yet we we kind of agreed, you know, unofficially that we weren't going to move NATO any further east than we did. And we've been slowly doing that this whole time. And so it's kind of interesting that the media picks up covid claims and says, you know, from a medical journal, it doesn't have enough context well, what about all this bullshit about the wars and inciting all these things? It's like, talk about context. I mean, and, you know, just another idea to throw into the mix. It's like, we can't ever have an arbiter of truth, but we can keep a scorecard, you know, like instead of a death tally, could we just keep track of how many times the New York Times has gotten this correct or incorrect, you know? Right. And then there's a level of accountability without it having to be like, this has to be true before we actually publish it. Well, no, I mean, we can figure out after the time these people were wrong, but let's all be in consensus that there was some wrongdoing, like the Iraq war. It's all the same shills who are trying to get us into another war. And it's like, oh, brought to you by the same guy who brought us into the Iraq war. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, 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 you know, it, 
it's so funny because right the 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 pattern is is so similar it's all this um well we'll prove it we'll prove it later (laughs) right right uh you know but the important thing is we have to be prepared now and uh you know this idea that we got to take things on faith is uh when it comes to the you know, fighting a proxy war with another country or, or right. whatever, whatever it is they're trying to do. It's, it's so strange. And, 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 you know, th- this was the complaint that I had with, um, you know, the Russiagate story from the beginning is like, I, maybe it is true, but you can't, you can't let your sources over and over again say to you, um, well, I know something and I want you to write about it, but I can't tell you how I know it or, I can't quantify the the way I know it. Like there, there was a very, there was a very strange story that came out a couple of years ago. Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, it was from the New York Times, and it uh, it was about how uh, Kremlin spies go dark. Uh, <laughs> hang on a second. I'm going to look that up quickly. Um, and. The uh, essence of the story was that suddenly, um, like, we here, here it is, uh, August 24th, um, uh, 2018, the headline is, Kremlin sources go quiet, leaving CIA in the dark about Putin's plans for midterms. <laughs> and and the, the lead is, in, um, uh, vital Kremlin informants have largely gone silent, leaving the CIA and other spy agencies in the dark about precisely what Mr. Putin's intentions are for, mis- uh, for November's midterm elections, uh, according to American officials familiar with the intelligence. So, <laughs> right, like right. that's a totally <laughs> unconfirmable story. Like, how are you going to confirm that the CIA's secret? you know, Russian informants are, have gone incommunicado. There's no way you can possibly can confirm that. Now, I know the reporters involved um, have said that they had some other indications that this was true, but this is what they've been doing over and over again for like, you know, forever now. And at, at some point you, just, you can't run this stuff. Well, know? right. I mean, it's like a kid who keeps like, showing his homework and the teacher's like, you, you literally have to show me the work that you're doing. You can't just give me the answers because I need to know that you actually did the, the work here. And that was like that, you know, um, that interaction between the, uh, I don't know who he was, but he's like, you know, I have, I have evidence. And the reporter, uh, a veteran reporter was like, you saying something is not evidence. You're not just going to claim that that's evidence. You have to tell me what that evidence is and then there's that whole role of like, well, it's it's classified. And I mean, I'd like to tell you, I would love to. I mean, it would be the best, but I just can't. You know, my arms are tied. And meanwhile, the military budget goes up. We just pulled out of a war. I mean, honestly, we're kind of bored here. What else are we supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. But, and that that aspect of it is also interesting, right? Like they, they're, they have some issues at home with polls, the 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 numbers for this administration haven't been good. And maybe, maybe there's a suggestion that they're being a little bit louder about this topic than they would be otherwise that because, because it changes the subject a little bit. I don't, <laughs> right. I, I don't know that they would 
actually do that. I, I think they, they they have some kind of geopolitical idea that they think makes sense here. I can't I can't quite figure it out. Um, but but it is crazy, right? Like you like at some point you you can't you can't just let people say. Uh, well, three people in our office say this is true, so you can print that. Um, you can take I mean, that. Back. And that's the thing. It's like people are trying to cancel Joe Rogan because he had like the most published cardiologist of all time say some things on his podcast. I mean, talk about somebody who's qualified. Whether or not what he said was true or not is fine, but we all get to base whether this person is even in the realm of qualification. Meanwhile, like, oh, our unidentified sources. And obviously in journalism, you're not going to be able to tell everybody everything that you're realizing and i guess that's that kind of like parent versus children dynamic that we're kind of spoon-fed which is like well we can't exactly tell you how mom and dad pay the bills but just know that the lights are on there's food in the fridge you guys are all good but from my perspective the lights are not on there's not food in the fridge this place is kind of (laughs) fucked right now you know and so instead of like medicare for all we're trying to just spend more money killing other people while we're like, can we force a vote in California? You know, like we're just asking for like little pittance and, and meanwhile the military budget goes up and up and up. And it's like, it doesn't seem like there's any elected official that's like, Hey, maybe um, we shouldn't fund the dome. Maybe we just should redirect all that money. We're not even in a war anymore. You know, it's like, it just didn't seem like there was a misstep. It's like, okay, well, where do we, direct that money now versus like, okay, we're not in an active conflict. So why don't we reappropriate some of that money? I mean, it seems pretty obvious. Yeah. And look, the, the military budget question is another one because, uh, you know, they've, they've also been gradually militarizing the budgets of other agencies like the DOE and right. state. And, um, you know, even the CIA, which, of course, there's secret budgeting, so we don't know exactly how much they're spending on all that stuff. So, Well, even the non-secret budgets, I mean, we've been trying to audit the Defense Department for years now, and I don't think they've come up with a satisfactory answer. If you and I couldn't prove our taxes to the IRS, we'd be jailed or fined, you know? But we're like, well, well, they got a lot going on, so, I mean, we can't expect them to keep all of their receipts. And so, yes, we do. (laughs) This is our money. Yeah, I did a story on that um, a couple of years ago. They, they were actually um, compelled by law way back in nineteen, I think ninety one, to um, uh, get their books in shape. And every other federal agency <laughs> did it within six years. Yeah, and the Pentagon was declared inauditable uh, two years ago. Like they they spent billions of dollars trying and weren't able to do it. It's extremely it's a mess like the, the reason why they can't do it i think they honestly um if they were to honestly try they they wouldn't be able to do it uh that's but, ridiculous that's that uh, we we don't have those standards you know as, right, as, exactly. as citizens who are paying for the, all of this yeah yeah anyway it's it's absolutely crazy but it, the, the the problem is it's all it's all enabled i think on the media side by reporters who say Who's, who who don't say no when these people come knocking and, and say, oh, I've got a great story to tell you about, you know, the invasion's coming on the 16th. Yeah, well, um, unless it's like Hunter Biden's laptop, in which case it's like, we can't report on this right now. It's politically inconvenient, but somehow it's just always convenient to have conflict with the Russians. I mean, you know, I'm 31 years old and it's like, 
as I grew up, I heard about the Cold War and all this stuff. I heard about Ronald Reagan. And I'm like, how did people elect an actor, you know? And then fast forward, <laughs> there's Trump, you know? And then it's like, I hear all these, uh, you know, older people in their 50s and 60s, like, really have scrunched eyebrows about Russia and the implications. I'm like, do you guys not remember what happened, like, 30, 40 years ago? I mean, we've kind of gone through this before. I mean, there's a Red Scare. Communism is going to take over the world. There's all these insurgents that are here in the United States. And it's a witch hunt. I mean, we've been doing this like for centuries of just trying to ostracize certain people. And obviously that gets into like a human psychology dynamic that's, you know, unfruitful to try to get to the bottom of. But I think, you know, the accountability is what's lacking. And, I, you know, to use like an image is we're, we're kind of trying to like ask questions to somebody. It's like the only person at a party is like holding a gun. You know, we're trying to get them to leave and they're like, I'll leave when I want to. And we're all like, well, I guess he's, I mean, he's, he's loaded. We're not. So what do we do? Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's about the size of it. Um, it's, it's messed up. And, and obviously they're playing on old archetypes about the Soviet Union and all that. And um, I think both, it's convenient for both Putin and us uh, because we, we're, <laughs> we're both countries that depend on, big military budgets but uh in any case johnny i appreciate it i'm gonna i'm gonna move on to somebody else but uh thanks thanks for um thanks for calling in i, I, I... pleasure is all mine i really appreciate what you're doing and i'll, I'll yeah continue to support in all the ways that i can all right thanks thanks a lot <laughs> take care all right uh i think the next person is kusha kausha Hello, good afternoon, Matt. And you pronounced it very nicely the first time. It's Kusha. Kusha. Thank you. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no worries at all. I know it's a little difficult for some people. Um, usually it might take a guess or two, but thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> Excellent. How, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. And um, if I may, there's something I'd like to address, um, given that the escalation between the U.S. and Russia have been dominating so much of the current political media coverage. Mm-hmm. And I really like to build on that to make a connection to those big power brokers in the United Nations, specifically about the permanent five members of the U.N. Security Council, the U.S., U.K., Russia, China and France, the five major winners of World War II, which the previous caller Johnny mentioned, mm-hmm. and their stoppable veto power which I believe is extremely undemocratic and prevents significant action against the permanent security council members and their allies, which leads to so many genocides, war crimes and crimes against humanity being um, left unacted upon. And so given that the description of your episode is information warfare, and since Russia and U.S. have engaged heavily in information warfare, both with regards to Ukraine, but also on another major ravage proxy battlefront, Syria, I want to mention that yesterday, Patrick Wintour in The Guardian published a seriously meaningful attempt, um, an article about a seriously meaningful attempt um, to, for human rights lawyers such as Gisu Nia to bring uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran and Syria, Bashar al-Assad, to the International Criminal Court. Uh, mm-hmm. Quote, it marks the first time Iranian officials have been targeted in this way for their activity in Syria as part of a growing effort to make Syrian army officers and others legally accountable for the actions either at the ICC or in national European courts, including in Germany and France, is about to end. Progress on the issue at the UN is largely impossible owing to the threat of a Russian veto, end quote. So I'd really like to know your thoughts on like the UN, the Permanent Security Council members, and this whole veto power as it pertains to Syria, Ukraine, and generally speaking, how the US, Russia, and other uh, council members abuse it, exploit it, so on and so forth. Ukraine, Syria, this case being brought forth. Sure. 
Yeah, no, thank, thank, thanks for the question. I, I am uh, not a Syria expert. I, I, uh, so I try not to opine too much on, on that particular subject because I haven't done a lot of work uh, on that. Um, mm-hmm. But I will, what I will say about what you're talking about, though, about the, the UN Security Council veto is that, you know, this is, it's sort of an ancient problem that uh, the, the, the members that you talk about get to define things like terrorism, war crimes, mm-hmm. um, as they're committed by other people <laughs> where and evade the, the description themselves. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think you're right. It, it's, it's kind of like an, an in club and an out club, um, mm-hmm. for, for certain nations, you know, the United States by, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, by UN definitions. And, um, I, certainly I'm sure Russia qualifies on the same, uh, the same way. Though I, I don't know specifically, um, how how that would work but but the you know we we would probably qualify as terrorists under the um the security <laughs> security council for multiple things that we've done over the years i'm yeah. sure uh, most of the other members uh that you mentioned uh or at least a few of them uh would have as well mm-hmm. so yeah i you know i that, that's not a subject that I, I i know a whole lot about but i think um but i think it's pretty clear that that Sort of uh, small countries that are uh, they're either in the position of having to be a client state to one of these uh, mm-hmm. to to one of these powers uh, or um, or they're going to be subject to the sort of full way of, uh, you know the international law the laws that won't apply to everybody else and uh, I think you know that's that's not that's not right that's not fair um, if you know, if what you're talking about in Syria, if if, if uh, there were war crimes there, or if there were uh, human rights issues that you know otherwise would be addressed, but but for this one country's veto, uh, yeah, I don't agree with that either. I think that's I think that would be wrong. That's I think a very nice statement that you make, and I think it really goes into what you say about the international law and what the undermining of it looks like. Because on the one hand, as we know. Like you have the Obama administration folks, Biden administration folks and Trump administration folks all heavily against Bashar al-Assad and Putin and so on to one degree or another. And like using Syria as a major battlefront for it and wanting him out, like even Trump wanted to assassinate Assad at one point, I believe he stated. And so there's that. But on the other hand, like the Bush administration undermined even using the mechanisms of the, uh, you know, the ICC itself. You may be familiar with this Hague Invasion Act or American Service Members Protection Act, which says, quote, the president is authorized to use all means necessary and appropriate to bring about the release of any person described in subsection B who is detained or imprisoned by on behalf of or at the request of the International Criminal Court. court end huh. quote. So it looks like, you know, on the one hand, the U.S. would love to use an opportunity to go against one of its major enemies like the Islamic Republic of Iran or like Bashar al-Assad, Syria and or Russia. But on the other hand, like it doesn't even allow itself like Bush administration folks have set up a precedent that doesn't even allow itself to to necessarily even be a key player in using instruments such as the ICC and so on. So I'd really love to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't um, I haven't given that a whole lot of thought. I'll have to, I'll have to think about that. I mean, it, it, 
the idea that we've given ourselves the authority to, 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 to do that is interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I'd be curious to know if we've ever used that power. Uh, but, um, but, you know, in, in general, I just think my observation is that we're extremely selective about when we care about international law and when we don't. Mm-hmm. And um, that's definitely been the case in Syria. It's, you, look, the, the Syria thing is interesting because I don't know if you read the, the Seymour Hersh articles about this a few years yes. ago, but they, they, they were, you know, I think there's, there's a school of thought that, um, there was a schism within the Obama administration mm-hmm. um, between people who wanted to have a, a sort of deeply cynical security arrangement uh, with Russia to to sort of manage the Syrian problem. And mm-hmm. then there were other people who wanted to um, back uh, groups on the ground and, uh, mm-hmm. and oppose the sort of Russia Assad uh, axis, mm-hmm. and you know, I think that 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 schism continues to exist. I, I I hear about it every now and then when I when I'm talking about other subjects. But it, it came up a lot during the Russia Gate business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that that's of interest to me, but I really just don't know a whole lot about the rest of it. So, uh, but thanks thanks anyway for asking, Kush. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I would love to return to your program. It was such a joy to be in dialogue with you. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Uh, okay. I think Todd is up next. Todd, are you there? You got to unmute yourself. Um, Okay, um, I think Joanna is next. Are you there? No, she's not there either. Let's let's try Amy. Amy, are you there? He's got kind of a dog avatar. Oh, hi. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Hi. Um, oh, thanks for taking my call. No, thank you. Um, I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about a comment you made in an earlier chat and how it might apply to this situation mm-hmm. about media and the difficulty that uh, press has in um, covering uh, institutions as opposed to individuals. Right. And so, um, so in, in a lot of, I see a lot of parallels to the situation of even others, not even related to foreign policy, where it's oftentimes in an institution, large institutions, government bureaucracies, um, interest to sort of um, exaggerate a problem, to keep it going for a very long time, um, uh, or exaggerate the problem beyond the, you know, well beyond the national, what it really means in the national interest. And, um and and I think you're right that the media has difficulty in um, in covering that, and so it becomes sort of this kind of cartoonish good guy bad guy um, coverage. And so sometimes I think that the public um, doesn't really appreciate how much um, it's really more about sometimes the career interest of individuals within a government or within 
other institutions that sometimes drive these these issues to go on and on forever. Um, and I was wondering if you just had any comments about whether the press is getting, if there's possibility of getting better at that or showing more nuance on yeah. what causes some of these um, issues. And I, I think I see the parallel even sometimes with the COVID uh, crisis where certain public health bureaucracies also kind of found it, enjoyed being in the limelight and, and maybe dragged things on. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, it's a huge huge problem in the business. And um, I, as a young reporter, I had, I had issues sometimes because, uh, you know, I would pitch stories and I, I always had really good editors so I didn't come into this problem a lot. But um, if you, if you can't personalize a story for readers or for audiences, um, editors get really, uh, nervous that people's eyes are going to glaze over and they're not going to be interested. There has to be a character structure to every story. There has to be some kind of a, um, you know, a human narrative that they, that they feel like people can connect with, which um, is sort of inherently not how the world works actually is, 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 is part of the problem. Uh, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. Yeah, so 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 this this is this is why the you know reporting in in the Trump era has become so difficult because uh, you know tr- Trump is, exemplifies everything um, that is, the, the media is looking for when when they're looking for a um, a human political story. Like he's he's sort of a perfect media character. He people who hate him and who love him will read about him endlessly. Uh, and so they, they love to have that hook of an identifiable, caricatured um, human being uh, at the center of whatever it is that we're talking about. Uh, in, in this particular instance, uh, obviously the, the character who's, um, who's sucking up the limelight here is, is Putin, and Putin has been made into this larger-than-life figure who has uh, just enormous reach beyond, beyond uh, you know, all probability. He's almost like a James Bond chaos villain at this point. Um, and they they talk about him as being something far bigger than uh, than he really is. You know, if you compa- you compare Putin. Uh, and his influence to say the influence of the Chinese economically, it's not even close. Russia's a relatively sort of modest economic power with a, with a significant military. Um, but, but Putin is a good character that people feel like they can understand. Uh, they like to joke about him. But this isn't. It's really not about Putin. This is this is an old story that kind of predates him. Uh, it has to do with uh, America's sort of longstanding inability to to um, to con- control the region. Uh, we've we've always had ambitions of extending NATO as far as we can in that direction. We wanted to bring Georgia in. We wanted to bring Ukraine in. Uh, the Russians, for a variety of reasons, do not want that. Uh, they felt like they were promised that we wouldn't leapfrog. Uh, 
East Germany ages ago. So they, they take, uh, they get extremely emotional about the idea um, of NATO being on their doorstep, but it's really, it's really not so much about Putin and Joe Biden or Putin and Zelensky or anything like that. Um, as, as it is about sort of more mundane questions like how much does Germany want to pay for natural gas or, or oil? Um, and how much do, um, does the Pentagon need, need, uh, a sort of active, uh, threat on the borders of NATO to justify its expenditures, um, these are all the questions that should be going through the heads of reporters as they as they cover this stuff, but they can't do it because um, it, it, the the way we cover things has to be personalized. I mean, I had this really weird um, uh, dialogue last week with uh, Brett Stevens of um, the New York Times. We had this uh, sort of debate about whether you know I took kind of the anti-war position on this thing. And he was talking about how, you know, don't you think that Putin would be uh, sort of personally uh, infuriated by the presence of a, a thriving Ukrainian democracy um, across his borders? And I just felt like saying, are you kidding? Like, right. the personal feelings don't come into this. So, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I, I, no. I, I think this 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 is really a story about... The, the Pentagon and the intelligence complex, you know, sort of desperately needing a, um, a threat mixed with a pot- potentially a real situation. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I would just I would just add, like, not only, um, you know, not just to justify their expenditures. Um, often, it's, I think it's a lot of for bureaucrats who want something to do and need something to work on and something that's stuck. I mean, I'm serious. There's, there's a certain careerism to it um, that often um, plays into this, I think more than, than as often the public realizes. Um, and I would also, I think, yeah. Um, yep. And I, I would just also say that I, I think sometimes we also forget though that also other countries also have bureaucracies like this. They have foreign policy blobs and that um, sort of, um, you know, incentivize foreign governments to do things that don't seem logical as well. So, and I think that plays into it as well. And, and yeah, I would just agree that the sort of cartoonish um, caricatures of Putin versus Biden, or uh, you know, it's just it doesn't it does it's not the way things work. It's much more mundane than that. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of refreshing to hear you talk that way because. Um... You know, so many people, uh, H.L. Mencken used to have a term for people who worked in Washington. He called them job holders, uh, which which I always thought was really apt mm-hmm. because it's it, once people get into government and you find this when you talk to people who work really almost anywhere in government, um, they can even be people that you really like. But they're but but they always seem to think that whatever it is whatever corner of the universe that they work on, um, you know, they, they think that that has the, the sort of primary importance in, in all human existence. And they're always um, pressing that to you. And, and I, I think, you know, that that's what happens with people just naturally when, when they, when you settle into bureaucracy, you start to identify with the, with the needs of the bureaucracy. And, 
the, the press has done a bad job of recognizing, you know, what those what those dynamics are, uh, and they do, and they especially do a bad job of it, of it during crises like this, and like the COVID thing, by the way, as you mentioned, which yeah. I think you're absolutely right about. I think they're, they're, that that's a classic example of you know, people who've been sitting in an office uh, unnoticed for 30 years and suddenly they get a little bit of limelight and like they want to, they want to take it out for a test drive. You, you know what I'm saying? I, I think that happens a lot. Yep. yep. Well, I really, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I really agree that. And I live in Washington, so I, I really, I, I see that a lot, but um, I don't want to <laughs> monopolize the conversation, but um, I really appreciate you taking my call and um, I appreciate your writing that, that does try to get at some of that. So some of that stuff. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. Thanks for calling Absolutely. in. Thank you. All right. Um, all right. Let's, let's talk to, I think Sam is next. Uh, yeah. Hi, Matt. Hey. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. Nice Long time fan. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah so I actually, I have kind of a, a general question. Um, more, I mean, it's related to all of this and actually kind of related, especially to the last caller. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to do with, I don't know how much you've thought about, I mean, you talked to Glenn last week or whenever it was about, you guys were kind of talking about if you felt optimistic or pessimistic, you know, about the future and just how things are going. I don't know if you've thought of specifics of the United States, but you know, with all this trust gone in the media with centralized institutions, you know, the government, I mean, with the State Department last week with that, you know, with that uh, press conference that was almost beyond parody, you know, like the the mm-hmm. evidence is I'm saying that it's happening. Like that's, I mean, you right. just can't even make that up. I know, I know. And, you know, also with the, the rise of independent media, you know, Things like the call-in app, but other things like, you know, breaking points with Crystal and Sager, you know, the rise of these decentralized institutions. Do you see, how do you see that affecting, I guess, like the country as a whole, or maybe, you know, other countries as well? I mean, do you see it being positive for the United States or does it, how does, what effect does that have? I mean, even when you break it down to the state level, I mean, like places like California and New York are radically different from Florida and Texas, just in terms of like how they handled COVID, you know, right. does, do you, do we see something more like a, a balkanization of the United States? Does that, yeah. you know, like how does, is it more likely that we're, you know, a single country in 50 years or are we, you know, regions? I'm not talking about civil war or anything like that. I mean, I think that's kind of silly, but. No, know, no, what, I, I, I totally understand the question and, and um, I think it's a really good one. So uh, I don't know if you've read, Chris Hedges wrote a book called the, I think it's called The Death of the Liberal Class. Um, I will add it to the list. I have not read it. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I know, Chris, we we, uh, we actually taught this book in a, a prison course together. But, um, uh, but the book is really about uh, the role that uh, various institutions play in holding society together you know he, he comes at it kind of from this marxist standpoint of the you know the various liberal institutions that you know like think tanks universities um the news media uh that all of that 
you know, from his point of view, it, it, it's, it's designed to kind of quell uh, revolutionary unrest. Um, and I, I, I get the idea sometimes that he doesn't he always think that um, he's a little bit like torn over how important those institutions are. But mm-hmm. he's very clear, and the essence of the book is that these there's been a loss of faith in these institutions that's been steady and has been increasing um, in intensity, especially in the last couple of decades. Uh, and I think it, almost everybody who writes about this subject agrees that that's happening. Like uh, another author that I, I interviewed about this was Martin Gurry, the the uh, the former CIA analyst mm-hmm. who wrote wrote a really interesting book that I, I guess lost him every friend that he ever had in Washington. Um, it was called the revolt of the public and the crisis of authority in the new millennium. Uh, and it said a lot of the same things that the hedges book said, but it said it in, in a, in a, in a much more cutting and um, uh, I, I would say uh, sort of doomsaying way, which is basically the, all these, these institutions have just lost um, the the trust of the population because they failed so spectacularly um, and, and so publicly in in so many ways over the last twenty to thirty years. Everything from the presidency to the news media, you know, they, they've all taken these huge black eyes, beginning with yeah. Watergate. And so what happens at that point is that you know, society becomes more atomized. They begin to, to, to search out their own solutions. And then there's, this, as you say, there's this balkanization process where um, they start seeking out alternative voices, which it can be a really good thing. Um, but I do think um, it's a net negative for the country when, when nobody believes the New York Times or CBS or CNN. Right. I, I, like, as, as much of a critic as I've been of, of those organizations over the years, I think ultimately it's a bad thing when we get to this point. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and, de- and, and sort of deeply destabilizing, right? And then, right, yeah. That, that's kind of what Glenn and I were disagreeing about last week is he, 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 was, he was sort of not, not as worried about that as I am. I, I, I look at what's going on and I think like, this is, this is really, um, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's becoming maybe a, maybe irreversible problem. Right. Uh, and I worry about that a lot. Definitely. I sure. mean, yeah. Even think about what social media has done to, well, how about if this is kind of a recent example, but that Twitter account defiant L's, I don't know if you saw this, how they were banned from Twitter and then they got reinstated. But all, all it does is it just shows like the hypocrisy of, of all these different, whoever they are, you know, politicians, blue check marks, you know, whatever uh-huh. you want to say, like those aren't going away. Like we, we have records to back up what people are saying. So if you're contradicting yourself with, with social media and with the internet, like we have, we have the receipts as you know, as someone would say, right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You, know, that you can't build back trust. I mean, especially with the CDC too, right. I mean, over the last two years, what think of what they've done to ruin public trust in our government, you know? Absolutely. And, and so I, and this is a point that Gurry made too. The, the, the internet has made it almost impossible for a lot of these institutions to operate in the way they want to operate. Like they, they used to just sort of lie with impunity. Um, and 
not not worry too much about <clears throat> the public's ability to to penetrate various untruths or propaganda campaigns. Mm-hmm. But you know now it doesn't take a whole lot to topple um, really major figures. I mean, you, you you can go back as far back as the early 2000s and think about what happened to Dan Rather, um, whose career was, you know, basically over in a heartbeat because one person on the internet decided to, to go through all that stuff, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so that's something that, you know, a, a CBS or, um, or, you know, the Senate Judiciary Committee or whatever it is. <laughs> right. They've just never had to deal with this problem of the public having the ability to research all these, these issues before. And, it, you know, the, the, even in the extant case with this business of the February 16th um, prediction, yeah. that's, that's the kind of thing where they might have been able to... Um, achieve what they were after once upon a time without getting a whole lot of blowback. But in the modern media environment, you get somebody who puts Zelensky's little impromptu uh, monologue, you know, with, with subtitles on Twitter within 10 seconds. Yeah. And it rockets around the world and suddenly they all look like, like idiots, you know? And, and yeah. So that's, it's, um, like I think, I think that the problem is that the people in these institutions don't realize you just can't get away with stuff in the way that they want to be able to get away with stuff. And and it, what I keep seeing over and over again in all these stories is, is the same pattern of mm-hmm. of these officials not realizing that and and sort of doubling down with more of the same rather than <laughs> rather than uh, you know adjusting to that reality that you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And going back to an article you wrote recently, the uh, Trudeau's, uh, I forget how you, I don't know how you pronounce right. it, Cusco's moment, right? I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like they, like that, the, the trucker thing is a perfect example of, of this. It's like, you know, they, they want to be able to, to just press a button and make it all go away. And, and they probably would have been able to do that once upon a time if they were willing to be, you know, um, high-handed enough. Mm-hmm. But now, like, I don't know, Glenn just tweeted this thing out an hour ago about how they're they're going to consider your pet extinguished. <laughs> oh, my God, I know. Right? So, like, <laughs> stuff like that flies around, and it, it changes public opinion really quickly. Like, they, they, they just don't. They don't have a lock on how these things, uh, how these things spread, and because they're so they're so used to not thinking in terms of um, taking other people's opinion into account, they 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 get themselves into trouble by doing, you know, sort of even more of the the dumber the dumb stuff, uh, heavy handed stuff that they would have done and. You know, in a in a pre internet environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, what that that's a great question, though. I think I think I think you know this this Ukraine business is 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 also an example of how you know they want to control a narrative and they're even bragging about it, right? Like that's that's what's so <laughs> right. Yeah, 
these stories like, oh, we're going to do we're practicing information warfare. Well, no, you're you're making it a fool of yourself is what you're doing. It's like read the room. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and they just they can't they can't see around themselves. Um, and this is just another example of like a story that gets away that's gotten away from them. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you answering the question. No, thank you, Sam. Thanks for the question. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, all right. Just we'll take, uh, take a few more here. Uh, let's see. How about Max? Great name. I have a son named Max. So, uh, Hey Matt, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi Max. Hey, yeah, that's, uh, that's my son in my picture. So <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> but, uh, Is his name Matt, that would be fun. No, <laughs> no, it's not. It's a, uh, it's Graham, but, uh, oh, I see. Um, okay. um, so on this, uh, on this Russia stuff, I had a couple comments. Um, mm -hmm. one thing on the Russia stuff that I think a lot of people aren't talking about that, um, might have something to do a lot with it is kind of Russia has been, they've been selling their oil to China and mm -hmm. working kind of with China and Iran. And there's a lot of implications for kind of the U S dollar reserve status. Um, and I'm not an expert to speak on that, but, uh, somebody you should consider for one of these call-ins or, or maybe, uh, maybe, uh, a podcast would be Luke Groman who okay. has done a, t a ton of work on this. And I think he's a really great interview guest and he explains the stuff really, uh, well and in kind of layman's terms. Sure. And I Luke think Groman. that Luke Groman, yeah, he's on Twitter. He, he tweets a lot. He's, he's great. Um, but he explains a lot of these dynamics really well. And it seems like there may be kind of like a sort of plaza accord, something like that, that could be going on behind the scenes where Russia, you know, because they're the swing oil producer and can kind of raise oil prices by getting, you know, if they were sanctioned out of the market, the, the price of oil would go to $200 and kind of <laughs> break everything. And so I think they're kind of holding that over, over the Europeans and the U.S. to kind of get what they want. And the U.S. is throwing a tantrum about it, but I don't know if there's much they can do about it. But anyways, there's, there's better people to talk about it than me, but I think that's an angle that's not getting discussed because yeah. it has a lot to do with kind of U.S. debt, U.S. financial issues that nobody wants to talk about. Um, but sec so if you have if you have comments on that, I, I'd be interested to hear them. Yeah, no, I um, first of all, I, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think clearly one of the things we're seeing with this story is that uh, a lot of the stuff that that um, that typically the United States, you, you know, sort of automatically um, is able to get all of its would-be allies in line and they're not able to do it as quickly um now because of some of the things that they're that you're talking about now we we, we have we have a, a serious problem with europe right now which is that uh, you know Ger germany is in the middle of completing a deal that, that would essentially make russia a major energy supplier to europe and which is completely against American strategic interests, but what can we do about it? There's really nothing we can do about it. Um, well, and you've got the, this ESG stuff hanging over everyone where it's like, well, the answer would be to produce more oil here or in the Gulf of Mexico or whatever, but nobody's interested in doing that. And in fact, they're like actively suppressing investment in those those places. And so they're really kind of like holding themselves over a barrel where it's like, 
well, we don't want to s- Russia to sell their oil to Germany because that would be bad for, you know, Germany would be more tied to Russia and have to do what Russia wants. But on the other hand, we're going to put a gun to our head and make sure that we don't produce any more oil in the West. And it's it's really kind of an interesting. It's like a they're having like a Mexican standoff with themselves almost. Right. Yeah. It's like that meme with the two Spider-Man. Right. Uh, <laughs> both of the Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. And then you add the fact that we're we're bar, you know, we're massively indebted to, you know, the, the, the Chinese, right? Like the, you know, we're, we're really in a, in a, in a difficult financial position with regard to them. So we're not, we're not in the, in this position to dictate to other countries um, in the way that we used to. Now we're still uh, obviously a major financial power with the biggest mark, you know, we market uh the other countries view us as a um as having you know the 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 safest financial markets or you know at least they're up there anyway so we 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 have a lot of things to um offer besides our military power but if we have nowhere near the influence in those areas that we used to and you know the russians are are sort of uncharacteristically being quite smart about this. Um, you know, they, they, they've long had the ambition of being, um, they have this very tortured uh, relationship with, with Europe and the West, where there's like both an inferiority complex and a desperation to be considered part um, of European culture. And, energy is kind of their way in and um you know the united states does not have a way to prevent that from happening easily so part of me wonders what whether this this situation is is tied to that and that's one of the reasons why i was um pointing to that line from the washington post article which talked about how um you know, there's been a, um, let's see if I can find the quote here. Yeah. There, there's a line there that I thought was very interesting because there were, there were, um, the, the Washington Post was quoting an anonymous national security council official. And then it, it follows a quote, uh, with this passage that says, while the chaotic Afghanistan withdrawal hurt U.S. relations with its Western allies, Russia's bellicose moves have arguably brought them closer in the face of a common threat. Uh, administration officials say that this time they've gone out of their way to provide intelligence to other countries. So, in other words, there's there's a way to look at this like they're trying to make up for other things they're not providing with um, shared intelligence, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, and 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 that this is what and they're using the threat of instability along the NATO's borders to try to um, to try to get more uh, loyalty, um, you know, uh, f- f- from the other NATO members uh, and more discipline in the ranks. Does that make sense? I mean, I I, I, yeah, I, I do I, think that's part of the dyna- dynamic here. Yeah, I think it, it. I think that makes sense, and it seems. It just seems that as as kind of U.S. power has waned the last few, especially after Afghanistan and and the Trump years and stuff, and and currently that 
the it's just like you said it's harder to get those people online because what what do we have to offer you know it's like china is a huge market for german industry and europe is a huge market for russian gas and china is a huge market for russian gas and it's like what does and the u.s is in there saying well we have to stop russian aggression and russia's like well we just want to trade with all these people and you know i'm sure they have other other motives and stuff but it's it's like what do, it's like why you know i think they're all kind of like looking at us like well who invited this guy like <laughs> right uh right. it's kind of interesting but I, so what I, I i also had a comment on kind of what you talked to the last caller about mm-hmm. um i know you're a sports fan um mm-hmm. and it the the media it kind of reminds me of do you remember in like the early 2000s when baseball teams especially went on these kind of like signing binges and they would sign these guys to like these, these 10 year contracts and they would hamstring their whole, their whole salary cap and stuff. But they, the whole notion was, well, we need to make a big splash to impress the fans and get them in the seats and fans like home runs and, and the, the Sosa McGuire years and all that stuff. And it was so out of touch because, you know, on fan message boards and in conversations at the bar, Fans knew better, right? We were saying, well, this is stupid. Like, you're going to be stuck with this guy who's 45 and you're paying him for five years. And finally, it took a couple teams like the Astros and the Cubs to kind of tell the and fans we, the truth, right? We, to, yeah. <laughs> to be like, we need to we need to tank and strip down and we need to draft these young guys and then we'll have this core team and we can win a World Series. And it started to work and now every team does that. And it seems like you know, people like you and like Rogan and them are kind of like those smaller market teams who are like, here, we're going to tell you how it really works and kind of go. And everyone's gravitating to that because the narrative from, from the, from the big guys who are basically like Steinbrenner at this point, you know, kind of like screaming at the wall. Um, like, does that make sense? Like that, that's how Absolutely. I see it. It's like, yeah, and, I, and so it's like, <laughs> that's very flattering. I really, I, I appreciate the comparison, but, um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That I, I think, I think the level of cluelessness is 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 very similar and kind of. And, and I, I wonder if it's uh, it, it, it's it's actually it's almost a one to one comparison because there's there's exactly the same um, inability to read what uh, what the audience actually thinks. Um, right, I, I, and and fans fans kind of signed up for tanking. Right, they're like, well, look, we'll. I'll still go to a few games and I'll take my kids and it'll be fun to watch the young guys play. And in a few years we'll be good and then it'll be awesome and we can all go and it'll be really fun. And like everyone kind of bought in. And so I'm hopeful that like, you know, some of these States like, like Florida, which I, I don't know if you saw, there was some articles today saying that they had like their greatest tourism year ever. Right. And it's like, it's going to take some, you know, if you want to call them teams, right. To kind of, break the mold and be like, well, we're going to go on our own path and it's going to work and we're going to be way better off for it. And, and maybe some of these States too, with like the, the marijuana legalization. And so it's like, hopefully maybe that, like the last caller said, balkanization, hopefully it's not balkanization, like, like a civil war, but maybe just more like a, like what the U S was supposed to be right. Yeah. Like 50 experiments and we'll see who's, who does the best. And, and maybe, maybe we'll all be better off if the, the powers that be can start kind of copying these, workable models instead of just trying to force feed the old model that's just kind of irrelevant down everyone's throats. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and um and 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 you see I think in a lot of these stories this desperation to not not allow um people to go off in other directions because they recognize the threat that it poses to 
uh, you know, to their model, right? Um, which is which is increasingly bankrupt. I I, I, th- I think, um, you know, I, I remember I, I obviously spent a lot of time in conventional journalism and big media, and I remember being told over and over again that audiences um, didn't want to do complicated. They they weren't interested in um, any topic that would require a lot of thought or any intellectual investment, um, and I and, and you know it, it turned out later in my career when I started doing stuff on um, the financial crisis, for instance, that it's actually exactly the opposite. It's very much like baseball. Uh, the the fan, you know, the audiences are in many cases more educated than the, um, you know, the owners of these companies, and they they have they have a lot more patience and a lot more interest and a lot more pliability in terms of like what they're willing to, um, you know, try uh, than any than people give them credit for. So yeah, I think that's what's happening with media for sure right now is the you know the, the this model that they they keep trying to push through which is just we're we're going to tell you what how, how things are and we're we're just going to hammer these narratives all day long and it's so off-putting and they can't see it um it's, all you have to do is is provide some kind of atmosphere where there's like an alternative and people will flock to it i think i think eventually like you're right you know that somebody will see that that works and they'll start to allow it more and maybe maybe copy it but um but right now i think we're in this kind of middle place where um they a lot of these institutions just can't see uh the alternative way as anything but a threat you know yeah i think it's like a it's like a generational thing like the okay boomer meme kind of like says it all right where Mm -hmm. you've got these older people who are less interested in change but they have all the positions of power i mean even these local school boards and all these you know like loud and all you know it's like at least these people are in their 40s and 50s like they're they're old (laughs) you know know, i'm only 36 and i feel so much you know you i look at biden and these guys and i'm like god these people are ancient they're older than my parents and they're you know, and Pelosi and these people are, they're just so old and they have no interest in change. But because of the way the, the cycles work, it's just so much harder for these younger generations to take, take the reins of power until they get into their forties and fifties. So it's like, but, but things are speeding up so much because of the internet that it's like, well, we're really gonna have to wait 10 more years to get these people out of there and get some, you know, not that the millennials have all the answers, but at least they're more interested in trying new things or, or trying, um, something that's not this clearly broken status quo. And it, I think that's like another kind of like uh, whatever friction point where it's like, you guys have, you guys are past your prime, please hand over the reins of power because at least we'll try some new things. And they're like, you know, obviously they're like, no, which is crazy to me because I don't know why they don't just retire. You know, why isn't Joe Biden sitting on a beach somewhere <laughs> sipping, you know, sipping a beer? It's just, do they just not, does that, do they just not have that bone in their body? Like, it's just crazy to me that they would rather be in this high stress, you know, is it just a grift? Like, I don't, it's just crazy to me that they wouldn't rather retire and let someone else take over. Like, it's just wild. Well, yeah. And, you know, before we move on, I mean, I think, um, 
I, I think they we have Biden because you know, uh, and we saw this with the Democratic primary, which was it was amazing on a lot of levels. The, the you know the twenty eight candidates was what like four times as many as we're we're used to having, and right. uh, and they were trying to push all kinds of uh, young and. Um, younger and more different and unconventional looking candidates anyway. Uh, but none of those, none of those candidates ended up with any traction. So, you know, Biden was sort of the fallback position for the party. And, uh, yeah, and maybe that's the problem is that they're all, well, they may look diverse. They're not diverse of thought, right? They're all, exactly. Harvard, they're all Harvard lawyers. They're all from within the beltway. Like they've all got, you know, like Buttigieg, they've all gone to, you know, the think tanks and they've gone through that whole circuit and right, they work sense that, right? Or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's only four places to work in Washington. McKinsey. Yeah. McKinsey. That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> yeah, right. right. So, so well, yeah, I, I won't, I won't try and take up too much more, any more time, but thanks. Thanks for taking my call and, and the comments. And um, I love that you're doing these. These things are, are really fun and awesome. So thanks, Max. Thanks a lot, Max. I appreciate it. Um, Okay, and say hi to your Max for me. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. Thanks for saying say hi to Graham for me. All right, we'll uh, do. Okay, I'll take, uh, I guess, two more. I know it's been, it's been, been a long one already, but um, let's go with uh, Maxime. Are you there? No? All right. Uh, let's see. How about Lee? Now you gotta unmute yourself if you're there. Uh, okay. Um, Larry, are you there? Three times a charm, no? Oh, Hello? here we go. Am I, am here? Am I on? You are. Hi, Larry. Hey, that's, that's great. <clears throat> I kind of feel uh, like I'm the old man on the hill here listening to all these 30-year-olds. I'm older than Joe Biden is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly uh, 30 anymore either, so don't worry you know, about uh, man, as I As I followed this in the uh, various newspapers and reports that I read, I, I kind of got reminded of um, an old uh, Peanuts cartoon in which uh, Lucy... <laughs> would volunteer to hold the football for Charlie Brown to kick. And then as he went to kick it, she'd pull it away and, uh, and uh, he'd land on his ass. And, and in this case, I think Putin's uh, Lucy and uh, various players from uh, Macron to Biden and so forth is uh, Charlie Brown. <clears throat> but the, um, the real point I want to make is, is this. I, I kind of think the Biden administration has jumped on this crisis with kind of a variation of the old Wag the Dog movie. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yep. That's and, and, and so let's get people's minds off of inflation, problems at the border, COVID. Let's make this sound as imminent as it can possibly be and as horrible as it could possibly be. And then when it doesn't happen, uh, they can tell us how they averted it with their brilliant diplomacy. What do you think of that? Well, I mean... That's not even theoretical. Like they, they just did it. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the I'm going to read the 
I mean, let me read the lead to the Guardian article this morning. Hang on a second. Um, uh, the U.S. and the U.K. have sought to fend off a feared Russian invasion of Ukraine in part by going public with an unusual amount of intelligence, hoping to rob Vladimir Putin of the element of surprise. In other words, um, so this is the morning after the 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 uh, you know predicted invasion doesn't happen, and um, or the afternoon, and so they're saying like, yeah, we we, we prevented it. By uh, <laughs> by making it public, so yeah, you're exactly right. It's 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 the wag the dog scenario. Uh, the the problem is like you, you know, theoretically you can only do that so many times. the The problem is that um, normally the the limiting factor is how many times you can burn a reporter on this stuff, uh, and but there seems to be no upper limit on that. <laughs> any, anymore so that's that's one of the things that makes me worry that this is going to keep dragging on for a while because uh, well i think i think there's also a limit to how many times the naive reporters can get the public's mind off of uh right the, fact that the last time they filled their gas tank up it cost 20 percent more than it did a few weeks ago so i'm not sure it's going to work anyhow thanks for taking my call enjoy the program no problem thanks a lot larry i appreciate it um all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, that. Thanks for the question. Um, up, oh, I was gonna go with uh, Kate, but looks like a. Wait, let's see. Are you there, Kate? If you're there, uh, you have to unmute yourself. Um, no. All right. Uh, let's see. How about Yvonne? Are you there? It looks like you're there, Yvonne. You okay? You should. I should be able to hear you. No. No, going once. Uh, I don't know why we can't hear you. It looks like you're there, but, uh, sorry. I'm gonna, gonna move on to, I guess, Donald. Donald, are you there? Man, I'm striking out all over the place. Uh, how about Trucker Visigoth? Something. Trucker Visigoth Chud. Can you unmute yourself, Trucker? Okay, maybe not. Let's try Jeff. I'm determined to do one more, folks. Jeff, are you there? Hello there, Matthias. There we go. Yes. All right. How are you doing? Matthias, Matthias, das Vidanya. This is your <laughs> Can you speak freely? Nyet ni magu. No, das Vidanya. Skol, chin chin. All the languages are about drinking. Uh, yeah, you, one. you probably need 
a few more a few more vocabulary words there, but uh... no. Si tu veux, on peut parler en français, mon estique Chris. Tu vas pas uh, me dire que tu parles plus de langues que moi. Ça, c'est pas vrai. Et à la uh, mismo tiempo, si tu quiero hablar en español, es no un problema. Yo he pasado solamente dos veces en España. So don't play the language motherfucking thing with me, motherfucker. Oh, you're absolutely anyway. right. Well, I cheated, Matt. I cheated. Uh, English is my second language, so I cheated. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Excellent. And, and as I'm fond of saying, this is a joke, right? It's just a joke. I, I, you know, I, I say it all the time and it, it, it's funny because I say, it's not my fault. I speak better English than you. That's not my fault. <laughs> Excellent. What's your first language? Uh, Francais, Québécois. Oh, you're Québécois. Excellent. Yeah, gilets jaunes. Don't you know? Oh, we really? Okay. We wear the gloves. No, uh, I, I bought, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, listen, have you read any of my articles on Counterpunch ever over the last 15 years? Uh, which, which, oh, Jeff Berg. Um, yeah. Anyway, I wrote one, I wrote, I wrote one way back when Syria was still considered newsworthy. Remember those, those distant eon times ago? I mean, it's really a geological epoch, but, uh, we were considering that Syria was going to be the cause of World War III. Remember that? Remember all those many, many months ago? (laughs) That was like 40 moral panics ago. I can't talk. Exactly. Anyway, I wrote an article called WW3 This Ain't. Right? So, <laughs> right? So I stand by that analysis when it comes to this particular imbroglio as well. Here's my, my joke, my Twitter joke that I've made. My Twitter joke is, my analysis is this. Vlad is doing Joe, Uncle Joe, a solid because Uncle Joe really needs a win badly. And if only for old time's sake, under the covers, Vlad's going to do <laughs> Uncle Joe this solid. <laughs> and why would he do that? Well, what do you mean, why would he do that? Come on, these guys preferred the Cold War. They, well, preferred, I, when they, they preferred when they understood. So just ask this. They preferred, they preferred it when they understood where they, each side stood. And they both benefited as Noam. Noam, you and I have a personal relationship with Noam, right? Like I've been to Noam's office. I had an email correspondence with Noam for three years. You know, I I ran an outfit, an NGO called Post Carbon Toronto. So effectively, Mm -hmm. I'm Post Carbon Toronto Jeff, you know, when Uh it comes to Toronto. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, My point is that Noam you know, properly said that they both benefited from that adversarial relationship, right? The, 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 Russia, the, the Russians, the Soviets, they got the propaganda benefit of seeming to be communist when they weren't actually communist. And the Americans got to, you know, have, have a public enemy, number one, that everybody got to be scared of. And it benefited both sides, you know, since NSC 68, right? You know, I mean, let's face it, the American economy is where without the arms industry? Where exactly is it? We don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Right, we don't know where it is without the arms industry. So I'm thinking that Vlad's doing Uncle Joe a solid for old time's sake. You get the Uncle Joe reference. Yes, yeah. Stalin, yeah. you know. You know yep. so anyway, that's the joke. I figured you'd appreciate it. And uh read some of my goddamn articles. I've read a whole shit ton of your stuff, mother. I will absolutely uh I will absolutely uh, read your articles, Jeff. Uh, you, you, you sound like you got a good sense of humor, so I'll, check, I'll definitely check it out. Well, I was in theater. I had a, I had a company in, in Montreal called the Skill Available Theater Company, the Théâtre Encore Disponible, 
And over a period of seven years, we went from the still available to the rarely available to the barely available to the no longer available theater company where wow. we currently reside. But I'm going back to I'm going back to professional music because this COVID thing has has erased all my savings, so I have to go back to work. <laughs> well, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. Ah, uh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna do? Well, uh, well, thanks for the question. And look, uh, on your theory there, uh, yeah. I I agree with you. I'm actually I'm gonna read a a, a line I wrote to. Uh, uh, a reporter friend of mine this morning, um, it says, my, where I said, my secret, my secret conspiracy theory is Putin is in on his own demonization here. They're like us in that they really need an arms race to keep the economy hum- humming. And maybe this heel turn was negotiated with people like James Baker decades ago. Uh, well, you see, it's not just that. Like, the Russiagate thing got out of control, right? And the Americans right, want right. to bring down the heat, and the only way to bring down the heat is to get Joe a win, and then Vlad can, you know, back the fuck off, and then everybody realizes, oh, they're they're just a paper tiger. They, they're not as scary as we thought. Blah, 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 blah. You know, Homeland is victorious, you know? <laughs> right. Well, no. You, you know, you remember the Homeland show? Hassan Piker and Felix Biederman do a really fucking hilarious breakdown of the Homeland show. I, I have not seen that. Is it? It's like a. Well, it's just it's up on Patreon. Just just the, the latest one on Patreon. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, like it's that. really funny. It's a break, you know, because Hassan is Turkish. He's got Turkish brain, right? So he's like he's like me. He's like you know, this is not my first language, you people. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I don't understand what the fuck you're on about. It's quite frankly. <laughs> Excellent. No, no, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think. Look, I, I, I think it's in everybody's interest for this, for this little kabuki theater thing to go on. Like exactly to to, to go on and then end up as a dud. You know, right, right. Like the you know the Russians really what they want to do is they want to they want to sell oil and natural gas to Europe. They they want to they want to. Um, be a market for uh, German products so that they can, um, you know. And of course, that. and of course, there's huge swaths of the American fucking political power establishment and financial establishment that wants it exactly the same thing. Just unfortunately, <laughs> there's also huge swaths that want exactly the opposite. Right. You right. Know? So it's a country at war with itself, you know. Right. 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 But but it, this this idea of like we'll just make a, a whole bunch of noise about about um you know a potential proxy war like for them like Ross gets to um you know amp up its spending we get to you know add 30 30 billion dollars to the defense budget next year um and it's a win-win for everybody like in the- well I, I I must confess I, I beg to differ we're allowed to have different opinions um, I, I, in this particular case, I don't think it's entirely driven by the arms industry. I think it's, it's more a, it's more a cooling down thing. Like mm-hmm. the whole Russiagate thing really got out of control for the Democrats. They didn't realize it would, it would work so well and that Rachel Maddow would be like Lord Ha Ha from Kurt <laughs> Mother Knight for fuck's sake. You know, like Jesus Christ, woman, chill the fuck out. I never thought of the Lord <laughs> Ha Ha thing. That's really funny. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so she was too effective. It's like the whole thing was too effective. It wasn't supposed to be that effective. People aren't supposed to pay attention, right? You're supposed to have like a two month fucking max. 
two month max fucking you know remembrance of things and this fucking mother night thing was going on forever like mother night jesus christ that's what i call rich about mother night's on again jesus, i love that, book. I love that book. <laughs> like, oh yeah it's a great book anyway so yeah. so I, I i beg to differ i really don't think it's it's a straight arms you know uh, pump up the volume thing of course they'll take it if it's a side effect i think it's really a reestablishment of the of the former you know cold war you know uh diplomatic ties kind of thing where they work sub channel you know that's right. what i really think right. is going on myself anyway i'm just guessing you know we're all just guessing that's interesting that's interesting yeah i mean look it, the i certainly we would take it right like we we like those days um and i and you know, the P- putin uh, I think he still pines for that era. So, um, well, he's from that era, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it makes some sense. And 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 as for Biden needing a win and them giving it, sort of giving it to us, uh, I can see that. I, I, yeah, because they don't want Trump. Nobody wants Trump. Let's face it. The idea that they wanted Trump is so comical. I mean, it's just so comical. Nobody wants that rogue element in the fucking mix. I mean, come on. Don't you no, people understand no. this system at all? <laughs> no, what they from the Russian perspective, and I know this because because I spent so much time over there. Like for 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 them, the ideal situation is like a Yale educated, um, sort of uh, half smart diplomat who comes to uh, you know a Slavic country and thinks he can outsmart everybody. These are the people who they they end up taking advantage of, and they they're expert at manipulating. And um, do you mean um, Hillary Clinton? Oh, I mean, sorry, I didn't say that out loud. Did I say that out loud? I didn't well, say that out loud. all of those people, right? Like, uh, but yeah, no, they, they know how to deal with those with with people like that. It's Trump is a completely different animal as far as they're concerned. Like, they, exactly, he's yeah. not yeah. he's not predictable in anything but his narcissism. That's the only thing he's predictable in. Right, right, and and they they don't they don't have a playbook for that that's as obvious as the one that they had. Well, for, do you do you remember do you remember you know uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, Doctor Strangelove? You remember mm-hmm. the guy? Mm-hmm. You remember when Peter Sellers was in the wheelchair and couldn't stop doing the Zig Heil? Right, you know? that's right. what that's what Trump reminds me of. You know, it's like <laughs> can't stop doing the fucking Zig Heil, dude. Stop it, just stop doing the Zig Heil. He's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. He keeps trying to hold his hand down. You know, Zig Heil. Oh, I didn't say that. Oh man, yeah, that was a great movie. Absolutely. Um, well, Jeff, I will definitely check out your uh, your stuff, and uh, thanks for calling in. I, I appreciate it, and uh, uh, thanks to everybody for uh, for coming out today and, uh, and and talking about this stuff. Are you up there, by the way? Are you up in Toronto, Jeff? Oh, he's gone. All right. Well, anyway, every th- thanks to everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut this down and. Um, uh we'll probably hold another one of these early next week but uh th- thanks for coming out and um i'm, I'm glad that uh, they've finally solved their their um their android issues so hopefully we can uh, do do some more of these and get get some more people uh uh to participate so thanks so much and uh i'll talk to you again soon